0: Thank you, um, Amen. Thank, thank you very much for getting to the sermon. Let me say, <clears throat> thank you uh, for the for the gift. It's very extremely uh, generous of you, uh, Brother Joel. Where um, if, if you're listening, you know I'm, I'm not sure where you're at, but uh, thank you. It's uh, incredibly kind of you <clears throat> to offer to do that, and and to the, all of you who if you who gave. Just thank you. I don't, I don't really know what else to, to say. It's, it's a very thoughtful gift, very practical gift. If you've ever been to our bathroom, you know could use the work. Um, so thank you very much. We really do appreciate it, and we appreciate um, you allowing us to serve with you. Uh, just this afternoon, I was on the phone with a pastor who's been in the ministry less than I have, and he's just asking me some advice and dealing with some difficult situations and just and things and, and asking you know what do i do with this and what do i do and i'm helping them and you know i kind of joked with him how do you like being a pastor and he said yeah i can't believe you've done this for 11 years you know and uh, but but it, it's 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 not hard to do it with a church like this and we really do appreciate uh, all of you so thank you thank you thank you it's highly appreciated we're humbled um, that you would do that. So I guess uh, in honor of Brother Joel, I'll, I'll have to preach out of the book of Joel tonight. Um, so uh, Joel chapter number one, if you would. Um, Joel chapter number one. And uh, we're going to start a new uh, book of the Bible tonight, Joel chapter one, where we'll go verse by verse through this chapter. Joel chapter number one, if you look, look down at verse number one, Um, The Bible says the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethiel. And of course, tonight we're going to start this brand new book of the Bible, uh, the book of Joel. And we honestly don't know a lot about the prophet Joel. There are some prophets we know more about and some prophets we know less about. Uh, We don't know a lot about the prophet Joel, uh, but we we do have this short book. It's only three chapters long, but these chapters are are just jam-packed. Uh, with information and, and just kind of by way of introduction. And I would encourage you, if you have somewhere to write some notes down, uh, as we start a brand new book, book of the Bible, it would be good for you to have a place to take down some notes because then when we finish the book, you'll have all these notes that you can assemble together all on, on one book of the Bible. And uh, I do want you to know that the book of Joel is a book that is in a section of our Bible that's known as the Minor Prophets. If you ever hear me or a preacher talk about the Major Prophets and the Minor Prophets, uh, the book of Joel is in the section of Scripture referred to as the Minor Prophets. That's the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament. You've got the Major Prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then you have the Minor Prophets, Hosea, Joel, and all the way down to the book of Malachi. And um, the, the, the name has nothing to do with the quality or the importance of the books. Uh, they're referred to as the minor prophets because of just the length of the books. Obviously, you have big books like Isaiah and uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then you've got smaller books like the book of Joel. And the book of Joel is in this section of the minor prophets. And again, just kind of by way of introduction, there's there's a theme in the book of Joel. These three chapters have a theme through them, and it is the theme of the day of the Lord. In fact, I'd like you to look down just real quickly at verse number 15, Joel chapter number 1 and verse number 15. The Bible says, Alas, for the day, it says, For the day of the Lord is at hand, and as destruction from the Almighty shall it come. So I want you to notice that this book has a theme, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and the theme is the day of the Lord. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go through the chapter, the vast majority of the chapter. I'm going to preach chapter one in two sections, part one tonight, part two next Sunday night. And in the first section or the first sermon, we're going to focus on the end times prophecy and the correlations between Joel chapter one and uh, end times uh, literature in the in the Bible, and then in the second sermon we're going to focus on the practical application and kind of go through some of the practical things that the prophet Joel talks about. I felt like there was too much information to cover in one sermon, so we're going to deal with the end time stuff tonight and then we'll get into the practical stuff out of chapter one uh, next Sunday night. Just one more thing as we kind of prepare to delve into the book of Job and it is something that is uh, something you need to be aware of with Joel, but something you need to be aware of when, when you really when you read any of the Old Testament prophets. And it is this that Old Testament prophets often give us their preaching or their books of the Bible. They're given to us in two different views. And the way I've heard it explained, and it's it's kind of maybe helps you to understand it. If you think of it uh, like bifocal glasses, if you're familiar with bifocal glasses, uh, they're the type of glasses. Sometimes you have glasses for people that are nearsighted or some that are farsighted, but then you've got some people that are just blind in any way, all the ways. They can't see near or far, and they've got these bifocal glasses. No offense if you're one of those. Okay, I'm not picking on you. Uh, but uh, where you they're, they're they've got a lens where you could see Uh, near, and then they've got a lens for you to see far. And on the same pair of glasses, you're able to see both near and far. That's how you should think of Old Testament prophets, because they, they often are speaking and preaching about current events that are near to them, but then they will also use those as illustrations or as a uh, 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 platform in order to speak about end times events that are far away. So you want to be careful when you're studying books like the book of Joel or Ezekiel or Daniel or whatever, and realize that sometimes they may be talking about things that are actually happening in their current Uh, uh, lives, and sometimes they're talking about things that are further away, and that you've got these uh, different views. And that's why uh, I'm going to preach two sermons out of Joel, because there's some things that are very practical in the book of Joel, that he's preaching to the people of his days. But then there's other things that are, he's given us a far view. He's looking into the end times prophecy, and we're going to cover that uh, tonight. Tonight, I want to preach on the subject of how the book of Joel teaches the post trib rapture. Now, if you're not familiar with that terminology, let me just say this. At Verity Baptist Church, we believe in a post-tribulation, pre-wrath rapture. Um, that's that's uh, our biblical stance. I will say this, among many evangelicals and, 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 and dispensational type evangelicals, that is uh, a, a different stance. Most of your TV preachers and most of your famous preachers that you know of today, uh, their position, and I'll even say most Baptists take a position of a pre-tribulation rapture. And uh, I'm going to show you tonight how the book of Joel, if we were to take the prophet Joel and sit him down and ask him, Joel, are you post-trib or pre-trib? He would say, I believe in a post-trib rapture. And I'm going to prove that to you from Joel chapter 1 tonight. So if you're taking notes, I've got three thoughts, and maybe you can write these down. Number one, Joel chapter 1 describes the end times tribulation period. I don't know how many times you've read the book of Joel, or if you ever read the book of Joel, but when you read Joel chapter number one, and um, you begin to delve into the passage, you'll find that he is talking, of course, about current events and things that are actually happening during his life. But he's using that as an illustration of a future period of time, which is known as the tribulation period. And in Joel chapter number one, uh, the end times, uh, the, the, the prophet Joel describes the end times tribulation period. Let me prove that to you, and let me give you some thoughts in regards to that. I'd like you to notice, and, and, and this is going to be very much of a Bible study, so I would encourage you to take notes and be ready to flip in your Bible. We're going to look at a lot of different uh, places. The first thing I want you to notice is that like the tribulation period, the prophet Joel describes a very unique time. Look down at verse number 2, Joel chapter 1 and verse 2. Notice what he says. He says, Hear this, ye old men. Now he's talking to the old men in the nation of Israel, and the reason he's addressing the old men is because he wants to address people that have been around for a long time. People that have a lot of experience. People that could say, uh yes, you know, I've been around for a while. He says, "Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land." Now notice the question he asks. He sa- he says this, "Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your of your fathers?" What the prophet Joel is asking when he gathers the old men, he sends out this question to the old men. The question he asks is this, is this, "Are the things that are happening The things that I'm going to describe to you, and again, the things that are happening are actually happening during the life of Joel. But he's using this as an example of a time period that is to come. He says, have this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers and what he's really saying is this the things happening right now are very unique they are not something that every generation would say oh yeah we dealt with that oh yeah we've lived with that oh yeah that's something that's common joel says look the things we're dealing with old men have you seen this before isn't this unique Now, here's what's interesting. Keep your place there in Joel chapter 1. That's our text for tonight. And go into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, if you would. In the New Testament, you have the book of Matthew. Matthew 24, of course, is a famous chapter on the Olivet Discourse where the Lord Jesus Christ gave uh, uh, the the timeline for end times event. And what Joel is saying, and and here's what I, I want you to understand. I believe that what Joel is talking about are literal physical things happening in his time frame. Now do they all exactly apply to his time or are they some things that are happening in his time and he's using those as an illustration of the future you know it's 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 hard to know that remember sometimes it's it's near and sometimes it's far but what he's saying is this he's saying isn't this unique now you and I can actually Uh, uh, understand that, and we can actually comprehend that, because you and I are actually living right now in a time that we could say, hey, ye old man, have you ever had this before? You know, dealing with coronavirus, this is not something that is only unique to us. It's happened through world world history, but it's not something that uh, maybe the last generation or the generation before that could say, yeah, this is common. Oh, yeah, this is normal. Everybody lives through some, you know, worldwide pandemic where they lock you down. Everybody lives through that. And what Joel was going through was like that. He was saying, hey, isn't this kind of unique, you old man? Have you ever seen these things? Now that correlates with the fact that in the tribulation period, that is what men and and people, men and women, will say. Are you there in Matthew 24? Look at verse 21. Matthew 24, verse 21. The Bible says this, For then shall be great tribulation. Notice what Jesus says such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, in a, in a micro way, sometimes we can say, and Joel is saying, isn't what's going on kind of unique it's not something that any most people have gone through, but in a very macro way, the Lord Jesus Christ says, during the time of great tribulation, it'll be a very unique time, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever it shall be. So I want you to notice that the prophet Joel is explaining this tribulation period, and he starts by explaining uh, 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 a period that is like the tribulation period in the sense that it is very unique. It is a unique time. Let me give you another example. Go back to Joel chapter number one. Not only does he describe a unique time, but I want you to notice what he describes in verses three and four. Now, to be honest with you, verse three, we're going to deal with next week in in detail, but look at verses three and four. It says, tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their, uh, and their children another generation. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, That which the palmer worm hath, uh, hath left hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. So not only does Joel describe a unique time, but Joel also describes a time of pestilence. Like the tribulation period, Joel says, look, let me describe this unique time. What's so unique about it, Joel? He would say, well, uh, that which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. He says, there's this pestilence that is going around and and destroying and killing everything. Well, the Bible tells us that's what the tribulation period is going to be like. Go to Matthew 24, and you might want to keep your place in Matthew 24. We're going to flip back and forth a little bit. Matthew 24, look at verse 7. Matthew 24, verse 7. Now, the word pestilence deals with plagues, and disease, and sickness, but it can also deal with, uh, like, animals, or beasts, or insects, that are, are, are causing death. Matthew 24, look at verse 7, for nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdoms, and there shall be famines, notice these words, and pestilences. So, Joel says, hey, we're living in a unique time, and Jesus says, uh, the tribulation period is going to be such as was not since the beginning of the world. Joel says, we're living in a time with all this pestilence, the palmer worm, and the locust and the canker worm, uh, and the caterpillar have eaten all of our uh, harvest and all of our food, and Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that the great, uh, that the tribulation period um, is going to be uh, a time of pestilences, when there will be pestilences upon the earth. Go to Revelation chapter number 6, if you would. Revelation chapter 6, if you're able to keep your place in all three of these places. Revelation chapter 6, and look at verse 7. In Revelation chapter 6, we have described for us what we would refer to as the tribulation and the great tribulation period. For those of you that like end times prophecy, and, and maybe you can write this down or, or you can just kind of gather this, the, the tribulation period is divided into two sections. We have what we would call the tribulation. Then we, we, have, we have the great tribulation. In Revelation chapter 6, it is outlined for us. I like the fact that God likes to outline things. It, it, it helps uh, all of us to be able to remember things. So it's outlined for us using six different seals. The first four seals are what we would refer to as the tribulation the the second two seals is what we would refer to as the great tribulation now for you to be able to remember that just remember this the first four seals are kind of easy to remember because they're commonly referred to as uh, as the the four horsemen the first four seals are have this correlation of these four horsemen. This is what's known as the tribulation period. This is actually what Joel is referring to when he says, don't we live in a very unique time? He says, this is a very unique time, such as was not since the beginning of the world. What's unique about it? He says, well, there's pestilence. The palmer worm has left, uh, 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 that which the palmer worm has left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust has left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm has left, Have the caterpillar eaten. Jesus said it's going to be the time of pestilence in Matthew 24. Look at Revelation chapter 6. Look at verse 7. Notice what it says. And when he had opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Here's one of the four horses, or one of the four horsemen. And his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Notice, and with the beast of the earth... The Bible says that this time known as the tribulation period is going to be a time when the, this, this fourth horseman is going to be given power over the fourth part of the earth to kill. And one way he's going to kill is with the beast of the earth. And Joel says, That which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. Keep your finger on all of those if you're able to. Go back to Joel chapter 1. We see that Joel describes, like the tribulation period, Joel describes a unique time. We see that, like the tribulation period, Joel describes pestilence. Let me give you a third one. Like the tribulation period, Joel describes a great war. Notice verse 5, Joel chapter 1 and verse 5. Awake ye drunkards and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Notice verse 6. For a nation is come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of lions. And he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. Look at verse 7. He hath laid... The vine waste, and and for those of you taking notes, you can just write this cross reference. The vine is a reference to the nation of Israel. In Isaiah five seven, we're told that the vineyard of the Lord of Hosts is the house of Israel. He says, He hath laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare. The idea is that he's killing. This tree, if you were to to remove all the bark from a tree, if you were to make it clean bare, it would die. He says, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. So I want you to notice that Joel not only describes pestilence, but he also describes this nation that has come up upon my land, he says, strong and without number, whose teeth are as the teeth of lions. And he hath a cheek teeth... Uh, a great line. Go to Matthew 24, look at verse 6. Notice what uh, Jesus describes during the great tribulation. Not only do they both describe a unique time, not only do they both describe pestilence, but they both also describe war. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 6, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Go back to Romans, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter number six. Revelation chapter number six. When we look at it in the book of Revelation, we see the same description. Here's what I'm saying. You want to know? People often they want to know what's the great tribulation? What's the tribulation period going to be like? What's the tribulation going to be like? It's not that complicated if you read the Bible. I didn't say watch YouTube videos. I said if you read the Bible, because you watch YouTube videos, they're going to tell you all sorts of crazy things about the tri- during the tribulation period. This is going to happen, that's going to happen, we're going to have all these weird things. And, and you know, it makes for uh, entertaining videos and might make for an entertaining movie. But the problem is that a lot of it is not in the Bible. You've got to decide, you know, are you into science fiction or are you into the Word of God? Now, here's the point. There's a lot of supernatural things that the Bible talks about, especially in the book of Revelation. But when we're talking about the tribulation period, you say, what characterizes the tribulation period? It's characterized by pestilence. It's characterized by war. Revelation 6, look at verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon. Notice, to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So what is the prophet Joel describing? He's describing a unique time, just like the tribulation period is a unique time. He's describing a time of pestilence, just like the tribulation period is a time of pestilence. He's describing a time of war, just like the tribulation period is a time of war. Let me give you another one. Go back to Joel chapter 1 look at verse 8 like the tribulation period the prophet Joel describes famines notice what he says in verse 8 he says lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth why should we lament Joel verse 9 the meat offering and the drink offering And of course, the meat offering and the drink offering are offerings that were brought to the house of God that were offerings of food. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. Look at verse 10. The field, notice what he describes the field is wasted, the land mourneth, the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languishes. What is he describing when he says, the field is wasted, the corn is wasted, the, the new wine is dried up. What is he describing? He's describing a famine. Look at verse 11. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen. How, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, and because the harvest of the field is perished, the vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered. What is he describing? This great famine. Because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. Howl, ye ministers of the altar, come. Lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of the Lord. The meat offering, which is an offering of food, cannot be given to the house of God. It is withholden. Why is it withholden? Because the vine is dried up? Because the fig tree languisheth? Because the pomegranate tree and the palm tree and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered. Because the field is wasted. Because the corn is wasted. Because the new wine is dried up. See, Joel is describing a unique time. Joel is describing a pestilence. Joel is describing war. And Joel is describing a famine. What's interesting is that these are all the things that the Lord Jesus Christ told us would characterize the tribulation. Go to Matthew 24, look at verse 7. We've seen the verse, but look at it again. For nation shall rise against nation. That's war. And kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines. The prophet Joel described the famine. And pestilences. The prophet Joel described the pestilence. And earthquakes in diverse places. Go to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. When you look at the four horsemen, what do you see? The same thing. Revelation chapter 6. Look at verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand." Balances throughout history and even today are used to measure out the price of food. You go to the grocery store and you buy a certain amount of vegetables. You're going to pay. Uh, you're going to put those on a scale. You're going to pay for their weight or whatever. Notice what he says, verse 6. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and wine. What's being described here when he says, A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. Well, Matthew chapter 12 You don't have to turn there, but you can write this in your notes in the margin of your Bible if you'd like. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2, we are told that a penny in the Bible times was one day's wages for manual labor. If you went out and worked, did manual labor for 12 hours, you would get paid to get paid a penny was a reasonable price. So uh, when the Bible says here that when the third seal is open and the black horse goes out and he sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand, what does he do? He makes a measure of wheat worth a day's worth of, of wages for labor and three measures of barley for a penny it means that three measures of barley is now the cost of one day's worth of labor. We see the cost of, of, of food go up. Why? Because there's a famine. There's a famine, so because there's less food, it's more expensive. Just like you were paying, you know, $75 for a roll of toilet paper when there wasn't any toilet paper in the stores or whatever. I hope you weren't paying that much, but you know. What I want you to notice is that Joel, yes, he's prophesying near. I really do believe that in his time, there really were locusts on the land. And I really do believe that in his time, there was a northern army coming and threatening them and being hostile towards them. I really do believe that during his time, there was a famine, but Joel is speaking both near and far. He is telling the people that there is coming a time when you can ask the old man, have you ever seen this before? Have you ever seen something like this? It's a unique time. You say, well, what characterizes this unique time? He says, it'll be a time of pestilence. It'll be a time of war. It'll be a time of famine. And when you compare that with the Olivet Discourse of Matthew chapter 24 and the seals in Revelation chapter 6, what we walk away from is saying the prophet Joel is describing for us in chapter 1 a period of time in end times prophecy known as the tribulation period. You say, why does that matter? Stay tuned and I'll I'll tie this all together and help you understand and hopefully you'll understand it. But let me give you a second thought. The first thought is this. Joel chapter 1 describes the end times tribulation period. The second thought is this. Joel chapter 1 also describes the day of the Lord as the day of God's wrath. Joel chapter 1, look at verse 14. Sanctify ye a feast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord. Why should we cry unto the Lord? Look at verse 15. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord. Now, I want you to know this, because as you read your Bible cover to cover, as you go through and read through the Old Testament and even the New Testament, especially when you get into end times prophecy, this term, the day of the Lord, is going to come up over and over and over again. In fact, when it comes to end times prophecy, this term, the day of the Lord, is probably the number one Theme, event, the number one thing talked about throughout all Scripture when it comes to the end times. And here, the prophet Joel describes for us, because you might be asking yourself, well, what exactly is the day of the Lord? Notice, alas, for the day of the Lord is at hand, notice how he describes it, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. What is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is the day. Now, I don't believe that it is a a physical 24-hour day uh, in the sense that I believe it's a time period. It lasts longer than one day. But it is a day. It actually starts on a very specific day. And it is the day that God begins to put into process or into play the wrath of the Lord. It's the day that God begins to initiate his wrath being poured out. Now, before he can pour out his wrath, there's some things he's got to do. We're going to talk about that. But that is what we're referring to when we're referring to the day of the Lord. It is the day of destruction, the day that the Almighty pours his wrath or begins to pour his wrath or begins to prepare the earth to pour his wrath upon the earth. Let me give you another example of that because I want you to be clear about that, all right? Now, keep in mind when we talk about the tribulation. Put that aside for a minute. Let's talk about the wrath of God. Then we're going to talk about a third thing. We're going to tie it all together, all right? Isaiah chapter number 13. You're there in the book of Joel. If you go backwards, you've got Joel, Hosea, Daniel, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 13. When you get to Isaiah, put a a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. I think we're done with Matthew. Revelation, so you can uh, leave those alone if you need to. Isaiah chapter 13, look at verse number 6. Actually, I'm sorry. We're not done with Matthew and Revelation. You're like, I just took my finger out. Well, you'll have to find it again. Isaiah 13, look at verse 6. If you're in you go backwards, you got Hosea, Daniel, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Isaiah 13, look at verse 6. How ye... For the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come. Notice how it's described. And look, we can spend all night looking at passages about the day of the Lord. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to show you a couple. You can study it out on your own if you'd like. But I want you to notice how it's described throughout the Bible. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. I want you to notice, what did Joel say? For the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Isaiah says, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Look look at verse 7. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. Now, you don't have to turn to this, but if you want to just write a cross-reference, for those of you who like to study these things out or have some notes, you can write next to Isaiah 13, 7, write this reference, Luke 21, 26. Because in Luke 21, we have Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus Christ goes through and explains end times prophecy. And here's what Luke says in Luke 21, 26. He says, men's hearts failing them for fear. Isaiah said, every man's heart shall melt. It is a day where God begins to destroy the earth, and every man's heart shall uh, melt. Or Luke said, men's hearts failing them for fear. Look at verse 8. And they shall be afraid. Pangs, the word pain means sudden or sharp pains, like when a woman goes into labor. He says, Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. And again, if you want to just write down a cross reference, you got 1 Thessalonians 5 3, where it says, As travail upon a woman with child, talking about end times events. It says, pains and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one of another. Notice, their faces shall be as flames. Look at verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. How is the day of the Lord described? Cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it for the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light the sun shall be darkened and is uh, going forth and the moon shall not cause her light to shine we're going to come back to that in a minute verse 11 and I will notice what's the purpose of the day of the Lord and I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible see when you go through the the Bible. And you say, why are you, we understand the day of the Lord is the wrath of God. That's because you're a smart group and you go to a good church. But let me tell you something. Most people who study end times prophecy right now do not have an understanding of the day of the Lord. They don't understand what the day of the Lord is. I don't understand why they don't understand. Because all you have to do is look up in the Bible, the term, the day of the Lord, read it, and it becomes very clear. It's a day of destruction. It's a day of fierce anger. It's a day of wrath. It's a day of great calamity. It's the day that God destroys and begins to destroy the earth to punish the world for their evil. But you talk to scholars today, and they're just all confused about the day of the Lord, the tribulation. So I want you to notice, the prophet Joel begins to write this short book for us and he begins by describing for us a period of end times prophecy known as the tribulation period. So how do we know he's talking about the tribulation? Well, it sure sounds like he's talking about the tribulation. He talks about a unique time filled with pestilence, war, and famine. It's exactly what Jesus described. It's exactly what Revelation describes. And then, and then, the uh, prophet Joel Begins to describe the day of the Lord. And he describes the day of the Lord as a day of destruction, of wrath, of punishment, of anguish. Like you notice thirdly tonight, not only does Joel chapter 1 describe end times tribulation period, not only does Joel chapter 1 describe the day of the Lord as God's wrath, but like you notice thirdly tonight, Joel chapter 1 describes The day of the Lord as separate from the tribulation period. Now look at verse 5 again. And and, and if you don't understand end times prophecy and these things, that's okay, I'm not mad at you, but just realize this is important if you're going to understand the Word of God and what the Bible teaches. I want you to notice what Joel says in verse 15. Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord. I want you to notice these three words. Is at hand. Is at hand. What does that mean? Because in other prophetic writings, like the book of Revelation, when the chronology of end times is being explained, we read things like this, the great day of the Lord is come. Is come is present tense, like it's here. We're in it. That's not what Joel says. Joel says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The term is at hand is used throughout your King James Bible several times, and it means that it's close. It's close in time. It's about to happen. It's the next thing to happen. That's what is at hand means. It means it's the next thing. It means that you're on deck. If you ever played baseball, you've got a guy that's out there on uh, and, and he's batting, but then you've got a guy on deck. He's the guy who's going to bat next. He's ready. That's what is at hand means. The prophet Joel says, Alas, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now, here's why this is important. I want you to understand this. If you were to ask Joel, Joel, it's really interesting that you, in chapter 1, kind of laid out very similarly what the Lord Jesus Christ laid out as a tribulation period. I mean, the famines, the pestilence, the, the 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 war, that all sounds like the four horsemen, that all sounds like the Olivet Discourse, and Joel would say, well, yeah, it came from the same Holy Spirit. And then if you were to ask Joel, so Joel, are you describing the day of the Lord? He would say, no. The day of the Lord is at hand. The day of the Lord is about to happen. He says, and as destruction for the, uh, from the Almighty, he says, shall it come? So here's the question I have for you. In Joel chapter 1, and verse 15, if we're looking at it in a chronological way, and by the way, that's how it's written. When he says words like, is at hand and shall it come, he's speaking to us in a chronology. If we look at that chronology, has the day of the Lord came in the book of Joel, in verse 15, yet? And the answer is no. It hasn't came yet. It is at hand. It shall come. In fact, Joel does not begin to really delve into the uh, uh, day of the Lord until chapter 2. Look at chapter 2 just real quickly. But I want you to notice verse 1. Even in verse 1, he makes it clear the day of the Lord is at hand. Joel chapter 2, look at verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Notice, for the day of the Lord, notice what he says, for it is nigh at hand. He says, it's a short distance away. It's not yet here. And then later on in the book, he goes on to describe the day of the Lord. You say, why is this important? Here's why. Joel is making sure that we understand that the things that he described in Joel chapter 1, verses 2 through 14, are not the day of the Lord. He describes the pestilence, he describes the war. He describes the famine. But he says, those aren't the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is at hand. He says, those things are not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord uh, shall it come. He says, those things are not the day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Those things are not the day of the Lord. You say, Pastor Jimenez, I don't understand. Why does this matter? Why would we, should we care about this? Here's why. Today nearly every end-time scholar will teach and preach about this seven-year tribulation period. And they'll say the seven-year tribulation period is a time in which God begins to pour out His wrath upon the earth. And God begins to destroy the earth. And God begins to uh, uh, you know do all these things upon the earth. And during this tribulation period, During the seven-year tribulation period, God is going to do, he's going to pour out his wrath, and they say, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And you ask them, well, why do you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? And here's what they'll say. If if they have any answer for you, which most of them have no answer for you, but if they have any answer for you, they'll quote to you 1 Thessalonians 5.9. By the way, I agree with First Thessalonians 5.9. I like First Thessalonians 5.9. First Thessalonians 5.9 is a great verse. They say, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll say, Well, see, the Bible says that God has not appointed us to wrath. By the way, that is what the Bible says. Amen. And they'll say, therefore, we must be raptured before the tribulation begins because the tribulation is when God pours out His wrath. See, that's where you're mistaken. Because though I agree with you that God will not pour out His wrath upon the earth, the tribulation period is never in the Bible described as the wrath of God. The tribulation period is never... Talked about as God pouring out his wrath. In fact, Joel goes into detail to make sure we know that yes, there's a period coming when there's going to be pestilence and war and famine, but be assured, that's not the day of the Lord over there. He says, that's not the day of the Lord. That's not God's supernatural pouring out his wrath upon the earth. And look, if you read the book of Revelation, it's not that complicated. I mean, you read the, the six seals and what do we have? Famines. What do we have? War. What do we have? Earthquakes. What do we have? Uh, um, pestilence. Now, it's going to be pretty bad during the tribulation period. It's going to be a unique time in history. It's going to be a time that has never been It's never been like that before. But let me tell you something. There's nothing supernatural about those things. We have famines now. We have wars now. We have pestilence Now. We have all of those things now. You say, well, well, what's the difference between now and then? And by the way, this is why it's so difficult for people, and this is why you should not believe people when they tell you, let me tell you when the tribulation is going to start. We don't know when the tribulation is going to start. And here's one of the reasons. All throughout the Bible, God says it's like a woman in labor. It's like a woman in travail. Well, here's the thing about a woman in labor. She doesn't just, you know, for those of you, you single kids out there and all you've ever known about women in labor is what you've seen on TVs, that's not how it, it's, that's not how it goes. You're not just like, you know, I'm sitting there just, my water broke, and then like you're just like, ah, and pulling out a baby. It don't work that way. It's pretty, it can be pretty slow and time consuming. You know what? It starts as a pang, starts as a, as a contraction, it, it you just got like, oh, I think I just had a contraction. And they're not... something you're not even sure. I think... Was it a Braxton Hicks? I'm not sure. Was it real? Is this real? You ever heard of the false alarms where they go to the hospital and they're like, no, you're not laborers. You're just... Because they start having these contractions, these women in labor, they start having these small contractions. But you know what happens is they slowly become more and more and more intense. And eventually there's a climax where the baby's born. And God says... That's how the tribulation period is going to be. You've had famines. You've had earthquakes. You've had wars. You've had pestilence. But it's going to get slowly worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But here's the thing. There's nothing supernatural about that. God says, when I begin to pour out my wrath, you'll notice. When I begin to pour out my wrath, you won't, you won't be like, oh, was that a contraction? I don't know. See, people say, wait, it's the coronavirus? Is this the tribulation? Well, that's the whole point of the tribulation. We don't know. I'm sure during World War I, people say, like, this is the tribulation. I mean, this has to be the tribulation. The kingdom shall rise up against kingdoms, nations against nations. This has got to be it. And then the war ended. And then seven years later, they started World War II, and they're like, well, truly, this has to be it. I mean, this must be the tribulation period. I mean, war and kingdoms and nations. And then it ended. You understand what I'm saying? People say, oh, uh, coronavirus has to be the tribulation. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying, you don't know and I don't know. Here's what I do know. Things that naturally happen are going to get more and more and more and more intense. And and it's going to happen. And obviously, there's going to come a point where it's going to be very clear. The Bible says when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, then you'll know this is it. This is not a drill. This is the real thing. Like, I'm against the vaccines. I'm against all of that. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But people say, you think this vaccine card is the uh, mark of the beast? Look, when the mark of the beast comes, you won't question it. You won't be like, I wonder if this is the mark of the beast. No, you'll know. You'll know when it happens. Here's the whole point I'm saying. is today people say the tribulation, they connect the tribulation and the wrath of God as one event. And they'll say, because God will not pour out his wrath, and therefore we've got to leave before it all starts. But here's what they don't understand. The Bible disconnects the tribulation from the wrath of God as two separate events. And he gives a very specific marker. You say, well, how will we know? Go to Joel chapter 2. If you study the day of the Lord throughout the Bible, it'll become extremely clear that there are two things that characterize the day of the Lord. One is the wrath of God. We've already talked about that. The other is signs in the heavens. Joel chapter two, look at verse thirty-one. The sun shall be turned into darkness. Let me tell you something. You're not. You're not gonna like. Huh? What is that? I wonder if that's what he's talking about. When the sun goes dark, you'll notice. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. Notice before the great and terrible day of the Lord uh, of the Lord come. You say, how will we know when the day of the Lord comes? Here's how you'll know, because right before it starts, the sun will turn into darkness and the moon into blood. This is consistent throughout the entire Bible. Go to Isaiah 13. Look at verse 10. Joel says in Joel chapter 2, because remember in Joel chapter 2 is where he describes the day of the Lord. In Joel chapter 1, he didn't describe the day of the Lord. He described the tribulation. Two different events. Joel chapter two, he says in verse thirty one, Sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Notice Isaiah thirteen. Look at verse ten. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. Notice the sun shall be darkened and in in his goings forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. The Bible is very clear that right before the day of the Lord, there's there's a big sign in the heavens that happens, and it's the sun and the moon. The sun goes dark, the moon turns into blood, the stars go off, and you're going to notice that. Matthew 24, look at verse 29. Now just to prove to you, now, people like to argue with us, you know, they'll say, you're, you're not educated, you didn't go to Bible college, I've been reading all these dispensational books, and they say that it's all, now, I mean, I don't understand it, but they got all these charts, and it's really complicated, and they said it's a seven-year tribulation period, show me that in the Bible, there's no seven-year tribulation period in the Bible. They say, oh no, it's all the wrath of God, and God's going to take us out of here before it all starts. Well, you didn't get that from the Bible. You might have got that from Charles Larkin, or you might have got that from uh, Peter Ruckman. You might have got that from somebody else, but you didn't get it from the Word of God. Matthew twenty four twenty nine. Notice how clear the Bible is. Immediately after what? Immediately after the tribulation. Is this part of the tribulation? No. It's after the tribulation. The tribulation happens, then this happens. What happens? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. The Bible tells us that the sun is darkened, and the moon doesn't give her light after the tribulation. The Bible tells us that the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, I will confess to you that I did not graduate from Bible college, which is why I'm correct on most of my doctrine. I will admit to you that I do not have a divinity degree. I just got a King James Bible. But I will also attest to the fact that it does not take a rocket scientist to understand that when Joel chapter 2, verse 31 says, the sun shall be turned into darkness. See if you can follow this. I know you're highly uneducated. Hey, we're we're in good company. You know what they said about the apostles? That they were ignorant and unlearned. They said these are ignorant and unlearned men. No, try, to, try to figure this out, okay? Joel 2.31. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon shall not give her light. That's our marker. The sun shall, not ter- shall be turned into darkness, and the moon shall not g- give her light. Notice, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, I know you didn't go to Bible college, but see if you can follow this. <laughs> the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before, this happens, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Then Matthew 24 says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give a light. So the tribulation happens, then after the sun and the moon is darkened, and that happens before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Do you really need a big Bible college degree to understand that? I think you need to just be saved Amen. and have the Holy Spirit. God just gave us you say what is the end times chronology tribulation happens after the tribulation the sun and moon and darken and that happens before the great and terrible day of the lord these are not the same events they're separated by a big event called the sun and the moon uh, the, the sun turning into darkness, the moon turning into blood. You say, well, what happens when the sun turns into darkness and the moon doesn't give her blood? Why is that so important? Here's why it's so important. It's like the most important event of end times prophecy. It's called the rapture. Amen. Amen. Matthew 24, look at verse 30. Remember in verse 39, he told us, the sun's gonna turn into darkness, the moon into blood, the the the, the stars of heaven, you're they're not gonna shine their lights. So verse thirty. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Verse thirty-one, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one hand of heaven to the other. What is that? That's the rapture. When God, bring, you say, well, why, do, why does God, why does God rapture us out? Remember the timeline. Tribulation. After the tribulation of those days, the sun, moon is darkened. And that happens before the great and terrible day of the Lord. When that happens, God sends his angels, go to Revelation, God sends his angels to uh, pick out, to bring out the elect out of the earth. Now, let's just think logically. Why does God do that? Here's why God does that. Because God will not pour out his wrath upon believers. So right before... Remember what happens before the great and terrible day of the Lord? The sun and moon is darkened. Right. Why? Because right before God begins to part his wrath, he has to gather the elect, he has to gather believers, he has to get them out. Why? Because God's not going to pour out his wrath on his children. Amen, right? However, that's not the tribulation. The tribulation is not God pouring out his wrath. It's just the earth and the things that have been happening upon the earth getting worse and worse and worse. People say, God has to take us out, but uh, He can't let us live through the tribulation. Uh, That wouldn't be a just God. Well, He can't let us live through what? Wars and famines and pestilence? Because believers have been living through war and famine and pestilence since the beginning. If you study the book of Revelation, you'll find that the six seals... There are all things that are upon this earth at this time war famines earthquakes plus then you have the the you after you have the four horsemen You've got the fifth seal. That's what we would refer to as the mark of the beast. When there's great persecution upon all believers, then you have the sixth seal. Let's look at it. What's the sixth seal? Revelation chapter six. See if you. This sounds familiar. Look at verse number twelve. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Does that sound familiar? And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and, and, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said unto the, the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from, notice, the wrath of the Lamb. Amen. When does God begin to part his wrath? After the sixth seal is open, when the sun and the moon go dark. They said, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, verse 17, for the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? Look, the Bible is so clear about this. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. Excuse me if I'm confusing you with the Bible. And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the winds should not blow on the earth nor on the sea nor on any tree and I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living God and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given notice to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea these angels are about to begin to hurt the earth and the sea but God says before you begin to hurt the earth and the sea before you begin to pour out my wrath saying verse 3 hurt not the earth neither the sea nor the trees till we have seen Seal the servants of our God in their foreheads. Then he begins to seal the hundred and forty-four thousand. But then I want you to know. So people say to us, Oh, the the the, the sun and the moon, that's not the, the the rapture. God's just sending angels and gathering his elect from the four winds of heaven, that's just something else. That's not the rapture. And then you ask him, Okay, well if that's not the rapture, then where's the rapture in, in, in the Olive Discord? They're like, Oh, it's not there. And you'll say, the sun and the moon going dark, that's not the rapture? And, and, and you'll ask them, well, where is, the, where is the rapture then in the book of Revelation? And they'll say, oh, it's not there. And we're supposed to believe that Jesus gave... Jesus. Look, Jesus did not talk a lot about end times prophecy, believe it or not. He spends three, three chapters on, on the Sermon on the Mount telling you how to treat your neighbor and how to love your fellow uh, 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 you know, church members and fellow Christians... And he gives us one chapter called the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus just really messed up because in that, he gives us one chapter and he just forgets to give us the biggest event, the rapture. It just, you know, slipped his mind. And then Jesus must just be a forgetful guy because then he gives us the whole book of Revelation and forgets to add it there too. Well, let me tell you something. It is the rapture because at the end of chapter 6, we have the sun going dark, the moon turning into blood. And then... They'll tell you. You know what they'll tell you? They'll say, the book of Revelation is not in chronology. You can't understand it. You need to buy my book. <laughs> but look, in chapter 6, the sun goes dark. The, the, the moon turns into blood. And then in chapter 7, what do we have? Look at verse 9. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. What is that? All of a sudden, there's a great multitude which no man can number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues in heaven. You say, what is that? That's the rapture, my friend. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and followed before the throne and their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying, Unto me. Notice, he asked a question. He All of a sudden, the sun goes dark, the moon turns into blood. In chapter 6, John is watching this. All of a sudden, there's a great multitude in heaven Verse 13, And one of the elders answered, answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? It's like Jesus wanted this to get in the book. So he sends an elder to tell John, to ask John a question. You ever, you know, somebody asks you a question you know they know the answer to? They said, Hey John, did you notice that when seal number six was opened, the sun turned into darkness and the moon turned into blood? And then all these people showed up in heaven. And he says, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? He says, he says who are these people and where did they come from? The word whence means from where? Verse 14, and I said unto him, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You say, everybody in the world, everybody, I mean, every, every famous preacher, every TV preacher, every John Hagee, everybody believes in the pre-trip rapture, Pastor. Well, uh, let me explain to you who doesn't believe in the pre-trip rapture, Jesus. Let me explain to you who doesn't believe in the pre-trip rapture, the Word of God. Because this is what they say, this is what they say. The tribulation period is a seven-year period, and, and, and it includes the famines and the earthquakes and the wars and the sun and moon turning into, uh, into sackcloth of hair and, and blood, and then it, it includes all these other crazy things. Here's what's funny, is if you read the book of Revelation, you know what you have in chapter six? The seals, normal things, war, famine, pestilence. Then you have the sun and moon turn into blood at the end of the chapter. Chapter 7, you have this great multitude in heaven which came out of great tribulation. Then you know what you have in chapter 8? You begin to blow the trumpets and then all sorts of crazy things begin to happen on the earth. I mean, God begins to send all these bees from hell. God begins to send all these, you know, crazy. Then, then it's the wrath of God. When does the wrath of God begin? After God gets his children out. But not before the tribulation. I hate to break it to you, Believers are going to live through the tribulation because the tribulation is not the wrath of God. And here's what's interesting to me. They'll look at us and say, "You uneducated fool. You knew I'd be post-trib, pre-wrath, rapture. What is that? You idiot? Because well, we'll well, they'll say, don't you know God's not going to pour His wrath? And we say, yeah, we, we know that. We don't believe that. The tribulation is not the wrath of God. They're like, you idiot. You must have not gone to Bible college. Here's the interesting thing. If you were to sit down, the prophet Joel, if we could bring the prophet Joel to Verity Baptist Church today and sit them down and say, Joel, you're going to answer my question. Do you believe in the tribulation? He would say, yeah, I talked about it in chapter one of my book. Have you read it? <laughs> what is it, Joel? It's famine and earthquakes and pestilence. Do you believe in the wrath of God? Yeah, of course, the day of the Lord when God begins to pour out his wrath. Do you believe in the pre-trip rapture? He would say, uh, no. Because these are two different events. You say, what would the prophet Joel be if he was alive today? A new IFB, post-trip, pre-wrath, rapture. Non-educated. Because I'll tell you, Joel believes something that John Hagee doesn't believe. Joel believes something that Billy Graham doesn't believe. Joel believes something that that every TV preacher you know of doesn't believe. That the tribulation and the wrath of God are two different events. And they are separated by a very specific event. The sun turning into darkness. The moon turning into blood. God's people being raptured out. One is the events of this earth getting worse and stronger and climaxing. The other is the pouring out of God's wrath. So yeah, I'll stick with Joel. I'll stick with the Olivet Discourse. I'll stick with the book of Revelation. Because the book of Joel, maybe not the dispensational books, maybe not all the commentaries, maybe not C.I. Schofield, but the book of Joel teaches... A post-trib, pre-wrath rapture. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this chapter in the Bible. I realize that sometimes these end times prophecy things can be complicated and um, difficult to understand. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us just, just the, the will to try to understand these things and uh, the will to understand it. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just bless us as we begin the study in the book of Joel. It's so deep. There's so much to cover. I pray that you would give us wisdom to hear these things and to learn. Lord, help us to study, to show ourselves, to prove them to God as workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word truth. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.